Alright, welcome to episode 2 of Sitting In With Soph. Um, on this episode, I will be discussing chapter 5 of The Mating Game. Um, and just as a precursor, this episode will be more of a reflection on different parts of the chapter. And as a sociology student, and I consider myself a sociologist, I usually try to come from Mars, as people say, um, and just analyze things through sociological imagination and try not to insert myself or my personal experiences as much. But since I am part of the queer community, I am incorporating both personal experiences with what I read and also uh, general analyses. So <clears throat> just as an overview of what uh, the uh, kind of timeline is of my discussion, I will start by <clears throat> kind of just analyzing and, analyzing and discussing uh, the general themes that came out of the interviews of this chapter and then moving through uh, to kind of issues in the queer community that uh, the chapter brought up and also that I have experienced personally. So from the beginning of the chapter and throughout the entire chapter, most of the participants, um, interviewees, did express uh, the personal non-conforming ideals that they had when referring to uh, like heteronormative dating expectations um, and gender roles but overall as a queer community they did um, bring to light just the general non-conforming culture of the LGBTQ community and I will be using LGBTQ even though the author uses LGBTQ, LGBTQ um, just because that's what I'm most familiar with. Um, <clears throat> and the first example of this that really stood out to me was when one of the participants used the metaphor of a tomb to describe heterosexual relationships and dating norms. Um, and this made it obvious that that person specifically and also most members in general of the community want to distance themselves from heteronormative expectations and structures um and going along with this as uh many participants mentioned in the beginning of the chapter the term queer instead of specifically identifying themselves as gay lesbian trans bisexual queer is more all-encompassing of <clears throat> the spectrum of gender and sexuality and really recognizes that even this simple act of labeling oneself as a specific identity within the community can feel kind of conforming to like the heteronormative expectations. Going off of um, the idea of distancing, I guess, ourselves and themselves from heteronormative structures, the combination of distancing while still growing up being socialized into these structures and living in them daily is a very complicated relationship um and even though 
from like a liberal progressive perspective, um, we've come a long way with dealing with gender and sexuality, but at the same time, it is a very structural and historical issue that isn't just easily solved by changing a few laws or uh, gay pride parades and everything like that. Um, one quote that stood out to me from, I think it was a gay man in the chapter, was talking about how he kind of desires like a quote-unquote normal marriage or long-term commitment with another man. And his quote was saying, this is just life now. It's not a fight. It's not a struggle as much. And I think that that line really demonstrates the uh, back and forth relationship of wanting to make your identity, just your queer identity in general, um, however you identify, wanting to make that identity an all-encompassing part of your life, um, while also desiring, again, the quote-unquote normal lifestyle that kind of aligns with uh, heterosexual relationships or lifestyle structures. So another interesting part uh, of the chapter for me was the aversion that the uh, interviewees had to stereotypical straight or heterosexual dating norms, um, especially when it comes to the other person paying for a date or the more masculine person paying. Um, and a few of the interviewees touched on it, but I kind of saw a parallel of, uh, between, like, these expectations that we slash they have, as well as, uh, cishet men, um, as it kind of demonstrates a power play with dates, and a few people in the chapter gave examples, um, like, they didn't want to be in debt to them, uh, things like that, and I think that this really demonstrates the underlying motivators of cishet men, like, insisting on paying in, like, heterosexual dating situations, or even not even heterosexual dating situations, um, but I think that that really shows, uh, kind of the different perspective that queer people have on traditional dating habits and how that their aversion to those uh just traditional ways of dating really shows um the motivators in a lot of heterosexual dating situations so kind of going back to um my initial observation of just the general non-conforming culture of the queer community the author mentioned a uh, queer normativity and i think that it's a very interesting concept that has a lot of layers to it um, and it's from my personal experience definitely a very pervasive issue in the community and it's very contradictory because like many of the part participants said so much of queer culture is based on defying norms or being free in their choices but it's almost like people within the community are trying so hard to maintain the free love love is love ide ideology that they end up wanting to enact too much control over the community unintentionally but I think that even as more 
like mainstream or conservative society comes to accept queer and LGBTQ folks more, the atmosphere within the actual community itself also changes. Um, and I think that that is why queer normativity has become such a pervasive issue and also a very touchy subject. And it's also interesting for uh, people who are newly realizing their identities because there's a lot of sensitive subjects and just like unwritten rules. And so it's in some situations becoming a not as welcoming place um, because of those just like unwritten rules and expectations. So the last idea that I want to touch on is the topic of queer aesthetic, as the author put it. Um, and I can't quite remember when exactly the study was done or when the book was published, but I think it's in the early or mid 2010s, maybe late 2010s. Still pretty recent, but things change quickly nowadays. Um, and so I think that it's a very interesting that queer aesthetic has always been important and now that I am part of the community and active on social media and everything it's still a very uh changing and developing topic I guess um and this is really where my personal experience comes in partly my personal personal experience but also what I've seen um like on social media and at least in the bi and or lesbian community that I know of, um, the like stereotypical styles are often how we distinguish, e distinguish each other in public. And this is very important partly for safety and also with visibility reasons. Um, there's a stereotype of bi and lesbian women being predatory or too aggressive towards straight women mostly um so style and aesthetic is often how we sometimes try to avoid perpetuating that stereotype or making people feel unsafe um and so there's been a lot of conversation around straight or heterosexual women kind of co-opting more historically and stereotypically queer styles um and that makes it harder and makes things more uncomfortable and unsure about how, if, or when to send signals or take signals. Um, and I still have a lot of thoughts on this and I've definitely been thinking about it a lot since I read the chapter, but it's almost like there's a parallel with that experience with like cis heterosexual men because at least on the straight woman's perspective, because I did at one point identify as a straight woman, the script, as we've been calling it, is pretty typical between a man and a woman and unwanted actions and wanted actions. And so it's easier to kind of distinguish the accept acceptable or desired way to react in those situations. But I feel like maybe because this script can be so variable between women in general that when it comes to like a straight woman or and a queer woman, that's kind of where the like stereotype of being predatory or like 
anything uncomfortable can come from. Um, yeah. So as I round this out, I kind of just want to touch on the fact that I really enjoyed reading this chapter. Um, and as someone who is relatively new to the queer community, um, I came out as bisexual a little over a year ago. Um, it was really nice to read these perspectives and they're not often perspectives that I get to read in like academic, I guess, text. And it's mostly just through social media um, that I kind of gain awareness, but this uh this chapter definitely made me think a lot and i hope that the future chapters do touch on queer relationships more